This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome Book Club for January of 2018. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Eric Parker. In each book, we discuss one D&D-related book, Spoilers Be Damned, in the full book club style. And our book this time is The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arda. Next month, we'll be reading the book A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. We're set to finish it off at the end of March. Hopefully you join us then. Definitely. Uh, before we talk about the Bear and the Night- Nightingale, however, uh, we want to talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight. Noble Knight is a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print products. My pick for the episode is Reign of Winter, a Pathfinder adventure path that focuses on Baba Yaga and other characters from Rus- Russian mythology. Pathfinder adventure paths feature all sorts of content from specifying towns and maps to descriptions of inspiration of the sources in addition to the adventure. If you buy this or anything else from Noble Knight, be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. Hmm. New and shiny, or old classic? New and shiny, And so or old the debate classic. continues. Since the dawn new of gaming, shiny, people have debated what to do with classic. their limited resources. Pick up a new, new product, shiny, or buy something or classic. classic. New and shiny, or old classic? I mean, the new stuff is exciting and tends to have high production values, but the classics are part of the gaming culture that goes back for generations. I don't know. Should I get something new and shiny? Or an old oh, classic? Oh, for the love of Pete, just new go to NobleKnight.com where you can get all classic. the newest game products and the classics for an affordable huh? price. What? NobleKnight.com? Where Out of Print is available again? That Noble Knight? Yes. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Wow, thanks. Thanks, announcer guy. That was super helpful. That was really helpful. I enjoyed that. Now on to the book for this month, The Bear Nightingale. So, Tracy, what's it about? Oh, I feel like there's multiple levels to the book. But the main thing it's about is uh, a combination of historical... I want to say Russia. I'm not sure what it was called at the time. I guess that's one thing. (laughs) In the the book, they call it Rus. Right, Rus. Uh, And it's definitely medieval. And it's it's about uh, a girl who has some connection to the world of fairy, like fairy tale type stuff, living in a world where Christianity uh, is also very much a thing. Uh, and there's, to me, I would say it's about the tension between the old ways and the quote unquote new ways in terms of uh, Christian thought and stuff like that. Does that sound like what that you would say? what I got of it, where it is the old ways with the spirits of Russian mythology and coming into a conflict with Christianity that is just coming into the land of Rus, and, and it comes really into conflict with in this young girl called Vasya. Yeah. And then, and one of the interesting things for me uh, listening to the book, and I don't know about you reading it, is the fact that uh, the, the book uses multiple names for people. Like, there's the yeah. uh, familiar name, the... Min- almost like I want to say diminutive but not quite like the like the little girl type names and then the formal names and then sometimes there's either other names going on 
Oh, yes. In the book, even by reading it, you see, okay, you got Vasilyev, which I believe is her formal and actual name, while Vasilya, which is a more common name that he used pretty much most of the book, but he still used other stuff. Right. So. And so there definitely were times when I had to remember all of those various names. And also there's, like, even different names for s certain creatures, for lack of a better word, of myth that happen to actually be real. Yes. Uh, and so it's, like, the one of the, the main characters uh, is both kind of, like, I want to say, like, the Frost King or Winter King plus Death, the way that we would we typically personify Death as a separate person. This person was, like, this character was, like, both things because somehow winter is associated with death which makes some degree of sense when you live in a very cold place like <laughs> russia canada i mean right uh, when it's cold it can freeze yeah you can develop that sense that winter is death <laughs> right uh and so and one of the cool things to me about the book was like we start off right away getting introduced to Vasya's family before she's born, uh, and also how heavy myth plays into it, because the opening scene, at least as far as I remember, is of the the children being around the... The nanny. Uh, yeah, I want to say nanny, but I, I feel like there's a different name for it, like her, their nursemaid or whatever, or however we want to put it, wanting a story. And she's like, well, which story do you want? And then the mother comes in and says, I want this story, which happens to be of a maiden that gets left out in the woods. And then the Frost King or Winter King comes and there's an interaction with them and it, it ends out well for her. <laughs> and then, of course, as in many fairy tales, she has a stepmother who's not so happy about this and then sends the stepmother sends her daughter out and that doesn't end as well. And that's like our introduction to the entire book. Which basically gets replayed out throughout the book. Because it, it, there's, the books have so much fairytale elements because you have the father, Peter, that is not quite always there, always busy with stuff with Moscow and all that. Then the, the mother of Asia passed away, so... Peter has to get remarried, and he gets Anna, who is very Christian and all that, and she doesn't like the old way, so she's just the, the, the tense, all the spirits that Vesaya meets up during the story and befriends, the mother, Anna, sees them as demons and all that. Right. And I thought that, that was a really interesting um, point to me, because, uh, so first of all, a lot of these creatures are the spirits we're talking about are creatures that come into existence when the thing that they protect comes into existence, basically. So, like, when a house is built, suddenly there is, of course, a, a, a house guardian or a house spirit that, yeah, that's with it. The Domovoi is the house, the guardian of the household. Right. And then there's one for the stables, which is uh, which is connected to the horses themselves that are in the stables, and it's like they're one and the same. So if the... I forget what the name of the stable one is but like when he's upset or if he's hungry because you're not feeding him anymore then the horses are the ones that also show that reflect that anger or discomfort so it turns out that both Anna and Vasya can see these creatures 
Vasya just thinks, because she's a little girl at first, like, that everyone can see them. But Anna says, oh, these are demons. And thus, since I'm a good Christian woman from a city, these are that's unacceptable. And thus, I have to go to church because it's the only place that they don't exist. Yes. Like, for me, that was kind of like a, like a oh moment in terms of understanding different ways of bringing, of thinking about Christianity in terms of gaming. Because, like, a lot of times these fae-type creatures exist in game in, in the game world. And uh, it was kind of weird thinking in terms of, oh, those still exist, but now Christians are just calling them demons. Well, yeah. From a gaming perspective, having these different beliefs that show up, because in games, in D&D, you typically have different gods and all that, different beliefs that have just happened within this world. And... Does they will have different mythology and all that, or it could be different perception of the same creatures. Right. And does they just have different stories because of different experiences, and that just shapes the culture of these things. And so this book really shows you have a, a, a culture that is changing, which is the Russian culture, because of religion changing in that area. So those stories are, you have two stories now. Right. Which right and which one's wrong, it all depends on what the choices of people do. So it's something you can easily apply into an RPG right. or D&D game about it. Kind of also, as, as you're talking about with the changes and stuff, one of the interesting things in the book to me also was that uh, so all these house spirits, all these creatures need food of some type. So like the ones that are more quote-unquote domesticated, they require like scraps of food from the house. Uh, the oh, I'm also f- forgetting the name, and and this is an area where not being able, like having listened to the book instead of reading it, it's a lot harder for me to remember a lot of the individual names for things. But the uh, the water woman, oh, the, the water spirit, the water nymph, the Rusulka. Yeah, uh, you know she uh, would eat people, mostly men and boys. Yeah. and so the thing was is as they didn't as they stopped getting the food mostly in the domesticated area because essentially the we have a christian preacher come in and who is like very much in order to save your soul you have to stop giving these bits of food to creatures that don't exist anyway so those creatures were then dying out and that's actually i think a part where it becomes really clear to us Vasilisa, that these creatures, she's the only one who can really see them. Because up to that point, people were giving them food and everything, so she kind of just assumed that they saw them too. But just them giving food could be just the rituals of of doing the superstitions and all that, like when we throw salt across our shoulder and all that, we might not, we might be doing salt across our shoulder when it happens, because it's a tradition, but in the magical world, there could have been a spirit there. And we're actually feeding that spirit. Yeah. Now, now she is seeing those spirits, and she's seeing people feeding them or doing stuff, but for them, they're just doing standard superstitions. Yeah. Uh, is there any part that you thought... Uh, there's one more part that I want to talk about, but I want to see... Like, Is there anything you want to talk about? I like also for... like You mentioned about the priest who was trying to basically ask them not to feed and all that. 
those. And yes, these creatures were basically dying. And you actually, which reminds me of belief, the power of belief in D and D, where like in Planescape, where belief changes the universe itself, one of the settings. So when there's less belief in these creatures, they're actually starting to fade away and starting going extinct. So that power of fate, that battle of fate was one of the interesting. And then later on, though, we, re we learned that for Constantine, he was pretty much doing stuff because Medev, I believe that's how you pronounce it, uh, the spirit of fear, the demon of fear, was basically manipulating him because he was trying to get, he was the, the bear in this story. Right. Uh, and do you want to talk a little bit more about who the bear is uh, in terms of a character? Well, there was two basically spirit brothers. There was the, the bear, Medev, who was the spirit of fear in the world who basically wanted to feed upon the, the village, from what I recall. And then there was uh, Morocco, the the spirit of death, the, win the winter thing. He was trying to defeat his brother right. by helping uh, Messiah. And, and the bear had been, up until recently, hibernating slash imprisoned in a way, or at least restrained. <laughs> and essentially the winter king was losing power and thus the the holds that were on the bear were loosening and without the belief in the old ways in terms of you know helping the those spirits out and things like there's nothing that was really going to be able to stop them except for you know uh, someone who can see both sides which is why we need the spirit of death needed Vasaya who could see both eyes tried away he gave her dad a pendant to help out for to give to her. Right. She, she didn't get it till much later because her nursemaid, Danya, kept it because she felt that uh, Vasaya was too young for those little trinkets. Yeah, and that's where we get into a little bit of what I found particularly interesting about the book. And that has to do with female agency and power. So the, one of the main reasons that Dunya, the, the nurse made nanny, was afraid of giving her the, the thing, uh, trinket, was that in those stories, it was kind of like the Winter King took the maidens, maybe wanted to marry them, maybe did other stuff with them, and it wasn't seen as like a good thing. She wanted to protect Vasilisa from that. But in other ways, it's kind of, so it's like protect them for that, but do that by marrying her off. And there's a whole discussion about how marriage works here, which is that the women were married off and they left the homestead and they went far away. And we see multiple different points of view of how this is. Like we see Anna's point of view where she's being taken from a city and being moved into the country and now things aren't the way she's used to it. Now she sees a lot more spirits and she's freaked out even more. Vasily's sister gets married off and she never gets to see her again, really. She never really even hears from her. Um, so it's, it's just kind of interesting. And then, of course, Vasily doesn't want to get married. <laughs> she doesn't want to leave because she feels that it's very important that she stay there and keep Domave and everyone alive. And if she leaves the forest... There, no one is going to be left that's willing to feed them. Yeah. 
so, and I thought that was really interesting. And also the conversation in terms of the, there wasn't like, female agency is kind of strange in a lot of ways and, and power. Like, I mean, Anna obviously has actually a decent amount of power within the household. She can make, there are multiple times when she makes uh, Vasilisa's life miserable and nobody fully stops her. They like, they try to, particularly after she beats her, um, some of the, her, uh, the siblings and Dunya try to make sure that they're never alone again, <laughs> again, so that happens. But there's, it's limited what can actually get done at that point. But on the other hand, like, they also talk about, like, so for Constantine, he's really upset with Vasilisa because she's not scared. She's not scared of, of men, you know, she, she won't just be the person that go that woman that goes off and gets married and has kids and that's all she does with her life. Vasilisa is the wild, the, the classical wild child, independent woman who wants to do stuff, who wants to, she's basically being raised up story-wise to become a witch right and they even call her that in the within the townspeople and everything particularly once constantine gets there uh but and so i find that really interesting too in terms of typically in a lot of fairy tale type stories eventually the woman does like the girl or the that wild woman or girl concedes and lives happily ever after and or doesn't do that and becomes kind of like a, a bad person in those terms of the story but here or, she's the she helps save everything yeah well it's also in certain fair classical fairy tale stories the main character the woman actually passed dies passes away right so, so usually in fairy tale stories, the, the main character's ending is not that great. Right. This one, no, it, it, yeah, as I just said, no, she saves everyone. She makes her own choice, and even at the end, where she's supposed to marry off Morocco, or suppose she chooses not to. Yeah, and she kind of just becomes comfortable in her own skin. She realizes she's part human, but she's also part of this old world thing. And that she's always going to be a little different because of that. And it's just kind of like, she is. Yeah. <laughs> but to talk about bad endings, or like, not bad, in, but in terms of maybe not what everyone would ever, ever hope for, let's, her father, Peter. I'm trying to remember Peter's ending. So there's an epic battle. First, I guess, one of the cool things to talk about is the epic battle in the forest between the bear and... Vasilisa and her army. Which yeah. had the Mavoy, they had the Rusulka, they had Solovni, which was the nightingale, which was transformed into a horse. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool because not all of the spirits, even though she's been trying to take care of them, not all of the spirits back her in the showdown, but there is yeah. a showdown of the bear with the spirits he's convinced to join his side. And Vasilisa with the spirit, she convinced to join her side. Uh, and they kind of just, like, face off in the middle of a place not too far from the town and yet very far away. <laughs> because it's like a different plane of existence, I think. Yeah. Um, it's the spirit realm. It's like the fey wild in D&D. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> to me, picturing in my head, it was kind of cool. To, and she does something that, like as far as we know, never has been done before, which is, like, typically the Domovoy cannot leave the house. 
the stable spirits cannot leave the stables, and yet here they are in the spirit world fighting on her side. And then just thinking in terms of this huge bear, both literal and not, creature, and these little, like, kind of like brownie people, like, creatures fighting it. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest one would be the horse and uh, Rusulka. Yeah. Like, the, most of these creatures are quite small. Uh, and just thinking in terms of that, and I thought that was, like, kind of a cool battle also to in terms of being able to amass that many creatures and most of the time the creatures kind of like were ate another like in terms of the the focus was still on the main characters yes i'm imagining visaya in this like to be early teen right so you're still talking about a young small girl and versus a bear (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and so during the course of that Anna dies because the bear kills her and because Anna can see creatures, see the spirit world, and she was afraid, that's how he gets to grow even bigger and bigger to the point that the Winter King's like, there's no way I can stop him at this point. And then Peter comes in and he stands between the bear and his children and ends up sacrificing his life so that his kids could live. Uh, And that love and sacrifice is even more powerful. Basically, yeah, that love basically stops uh, stops the bear. And for me, that was great because sometimes we see it a little bit in fairy tales, but a lot of times we don't get as much, at least in like the current version of Grimm's, of like the father's love sort of thing. Hansel, no. and, Hansel and Gretel, the, the father is willing to go leave them in the woods because his wife doesn't want them. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and all those sorts of things. Well, yeah. Basically, that part at the end is basically a subversion of the typical fairy tale of the in the father who ignores folks, who ignores other children who are too busy with work or stuff like that. And most fairy tales, that's that's it. That's that's a trope. But in this one, by having the, the father come at the end and basically sacrifice himself to save the family subverts that typical trope which which the book does several times of taking your typical fairy tales and just subverting them and changing them like oh which makes it interesting yeah like we get to see the the sadness over the sister getting married off and (laughs) and and all those things that typically we don't get to see as much (laughs) it's just like oh the sister is married now everyone's happy yay (laughs) No, everything's happy, yes, but you're not going to see your sister again because <laughs> right. gone. And then I thought it was cool, too, like, there's little bits of history thrown into their offhand references to the fact that the prince uh, might act a certain way because really the people that have the power are the cons, and thus if if they don't do what in the end are going to make the cons happy, they'll just get replaced by whomever the cons think will make yeah. will make them happy. And I thought that was pretty cool. How about, yeah. how about the, the little politics that's happening in the background, which gives some context to the story, but it's not really specifically relevant to what's happening right now. Yeah. Is there anything else that, that you liked about it that you wanted to point out? We sort of covered it, but uh, I liked the whole 
different views that people, African calendar you were seeing from their point of view and you were seeing that by them, as we said, talking and giving people different names based on their position in relation to that character. Right. And, but that permitted to, to, to focus throughout the whole story of the different points of view, again, which reinforces the whole idea of spirits, demons, the different views, as you said, of marriage and all that. And that's something I really enjoyed about seeing for the book. They were, there was not one vision. It was like, okay, here's different ways stuff exists. Yeah. And like, they didn't even go into it too much, but there, there was the, the talk about the potential of war with Vasilisa's older brother who joined the church. Sasha? Yeah. Who became Alexander when he joined the church and like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that was cool too. That was interesting too in terms of, like, it's hinted that the bear was probably behind that too because he stokes desires of war um, and conflict wherever he goes and the fact that they're talking about potentially and it was kind of interesting though turn too because like they're talking about the war to overthrow the cons but then to think then to have that implicit well maybe this is just the work of the bear and it's like well on one hand it sounds like it's a good thing to overthrow the cons because there's allegedly like some type of oppression even though actually before Constantine goes to that particular area uh, where uh, Pieter's estate, like, everyone's pretty content and happy. <laughs> um, and so, typically we think of overthrowing rulers that we may or may not like as a good thing, but then the book questions whether or not it would actually be a good thing. It does. Uh, I think one of the things, oh, the bear, as said, being the, the spirit of fear, it was seeing those oppression. You were seeing that fear and were just powering to go and try to overthrow it because in doing so in a reckless way. Right. So I think that's the part that it tells like, okay, yes, it is good possibly to overthrow oppressive stuff, but do you really want to do it in a reckless way or do you want to like figure it out and do that way? The next thing that comes along is, is better than, doing it out of just pure fear. Right. And so I think that's another thing I liked about the book is that and we haven't said it explicitly yet, but there is a fair degree of nuance to a lot of things like that. Hmm. I mean, for, for, a, for a novel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so was there anything that you thought might be better or you weren't particularly as happy about or anything like that? It, it took me two reads before really getting into it all that. So the first time I read it, I got most of it, but I getting I, I really needed to get that second reading to really start. I mean, so the book gets better, more multiple reading because which is something I find is good. It just, makes it a bit sometimes hard to just get in. Yeah, and I'm not going to say this is bad per se or, or even negative, but um, I think I had to listen to it at a slower 
pace than I normally do for audiobooks be because it's so dense and like you can miss things and suddenly you're like wait what just happened particularly with the multiple names for the same character yeah um and there were definitely I think a lot more times that I had to hit like the 30 second rewind button <laughs> <laughs> well yes uh being good thing it's much mythology it's something that that Honestly, I'm not used to it. I don't think you are too. But uh, so all the names are not that as familiar. Oh, so yeah, seeing all the different names was like, okay, let's back. let's read back. Who are they talking about? And you were saying, um, so for the audiobook, we didn't have it, but you're saying there's a glossary for the digital and obviously print book too. Yes. Yes, there is. So it, it covers some of the, the terms. Like, uh, like they, they say, like, Buran is the snowstorm. Gavushka is a little girl. Gavushka is a young woman or maiden. Uh, Domovoy, which is the house spirit, compared to the Dvoroi, the V, is also is the guardian of the yard. Okay, yeah. The, the janitor. Uh, Kasha is porridge. So yeah, they, they they have little various various words that show up, like they even deal in for the Rus. They said the Rus were originally Scandinavian people. In the ninth century CE, at the invitation of the warring Slavic and Finnic tribes, they established a ruling dynasty at the Rurkids that eventually comprised a large swath of what is now Ukraine, Belarus, and Western Russia. The territory that they ruled was eminently named after them as were the people living under their dynasty. The word Rus has lasted into present day, as we can see in the names of Russia and Belarus. Right. So that's basically where we are, this set. Um, yeah, and I think that, I mean, I, I think I was able to gather most of that from context, but it would have been really useful to have it. And I think yeah. it does, um, I did a little research on the, on the book outside of just reading it, and the author I believe is American who happened uh, I think out of college went to Russia uh, and fell in love with uh, with it so I want I do wonder if being nice enough to include the glossary was something from being that experience like this isn't something she necessarily grew up with as far as I know yeah basically about the author so Kat, uh, Katrin Arden was born in Austin, Texas, spent her junior year of high school in Rennes, France. Following her acceptance to Millbury College in Vermont, she deferred enrollment for a year in order to live and study in Moscow. So at Millbury, she specializes in French and Russian literature. She received her BA, she moves to Hawaii, and then all that. But basically, yeah, she spent, she spent a year to live in Moscow, and her specialization is Russian literature. So she was exposed. Right. Uh, but as also an outsider, and I think that's one of the uh, things that might help to me um, with this book with people like in, in the D&D &D type crowd in terms of I didn't feel like not being exposed to a lot of Russian literature stopped me from being able to read it. I'm not going to then say whatever I create from this book that is obviously... Uh, like that I can then go write a Russian mythology-based no module or anything like that 
but, but you I, can grab you can grab some inspiration from the book too, and then do some more research in online or other books and create. I mean, so if you want to do a Rasulka or if you want to do a Dumbavoy, you have some groundwork already done. Yeah. And I really like the fact, too, from this book in terms of... Because it, it, I, I don't have much more bad to talk about, so do you want to talk about like ways we could use this for inspiration? Let's, yeah, let's do that, yes. Yeah, so I like the idea that you can change the environment by giving to spirits. Like, the horses will be nicer to you if you give to the stable spirit. Um, and maybe even if you give it long enough, like, in terms of backstory for characters, that they might be willing to teach you how to ride bareback in an amazing way. Yes. <laughs> Like, that sort of stuff to me is, like, really cool because you don't necessarily always have to have mechanics for it. No. Um, and it's definitely a great use, in my mind, for, uh, in my opinion, for downtime. Like, oh, I just keep giving, and, like, just little flavor for a character. I always have bits of bread on me because I'm going to give them to the various house spirits that live in people's houses. Yeah. A very spiritualistic universe is can easily be done in D and D, where you can, where magic is ever present. Yeah, and like the whole even animal handling and speak with animals and stuff can make a lot more sense with the character. I mean, it makes sense anyway, but it plays in really well with this type of storyline and and character. Yeah, because sometimes when we play D and D, usually the timelines when we go from one end to the other is usually much shorter than what stuff would take. Usually to train an animal would take years, but yet, but yet in adventures, they usually do that in weeks. And that could be easily explained of having that magical connection with spirits or other elements around the world of the environment that is helping out to accelerate the speed. Right. Um, and then the other thing that other piece of inspiration I took from this book too, and I think it's more from the DM side, although it's kind of connected to player actions, is that if you do have a player who's willing to do that sort of thing, like I'm going to do nice thing X for random characters in, in the world, finding a way to repay that later is really useful because there's no particular reason why you could not in a big boss fight create some element where like, oh, you did these nice things and therefore, or you did these things in the world and that has this implication and it doesn't actually really change the encounter setup other than you maybe like take an element that was already there and remove it from, uh, you know, make the encounter slightly easier or you just add additional elements and have them fight each other. But now at least it does feel like that the player characters affected the world around them. Well, or even that, or even rather than changing the environment, uh, it can also be of just giving abilities to, right. to the player to summon these things when they want to during the, the encounter. Okay, because you were really nice to that household spirit. Well, you, if you want to, here you can summon it for this encounter. Yeah. 
and they will be able to do a task for you that was, would be relevant for within its abilities. So those little, those, oh, look, you were nice to a water spirit, and then and you're, you're fighting water, you need to get to the other side. You can summon, you can call her up, and she will come and guide you. And I also loved, uh, kind of along those lines a little bit, is the, the playfulness uh, early on in the book when she's little with the River King. Because there's this whole thing where her brother goes fishing and the River King steals the fish. And so this little girl is arguing with the water to give the fish back and suddenly the fish basket comes flying out and it hits her brother. <laughs> it was cute and... Very whimsical, but fun. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something you could also easily yeah. pull in two games. Oh, yeah. Is there anything that particularly inspired you, too? My big influence was basically the whole conflict between the various religions and stuff like that. that the various two beliefs that I found was the most, from a, from a GM perspective, of putting it into the world. And having those two conflicts of a change culture and how it is affecting pretty much everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because as it shows, it's not just affecting the people themselves, but it also affects the magical world around them. Right. And so when you have, in, in the, like we have in D&D, where deities actually have a physical existence, what happened when what happens when one of the gods said, No, this area is now mine. And the priest is going and all that. And now you you have this conflict between the old god that is leaving you, maybe he's lost and the agreement is gone. So they don't have access to that that area. So the whole power is it's changing to this new deity who has no power. Right. So you can play with that. Yeah, and the, and then also the fact that not everyone automatically changes over, and and how do you deal with them, and how do the people who did decide to change over view them? Because like in yeah. our in this book, you know, that's definitely a tension with Vasilisa because she's being starting to be really called a witch, and and which her grandmother was a witch. And it didn't seem like that was necessarily a bad thing. And and now she's it's it is definitely seen as a bad thing for her. Yeah. Um and I guess uh two things or a couple things we should probably point out is that um there is a slight bit of kind of like assault that happens in the book. Like Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh one of the suitors for Vasilisa uh tries to force himself a little bit, uh, given, like, not as bad, given that they're not married and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then the other thing is that there are deaths of children in the book to point out how bad things are getting and the fear level, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a really, it's not a really happy book for the environment is a bit, that I mean, there are elements that we, but yes, there is some oppression. There is some bad stuff. So, yeah, it was just uh, particularly with 
with uh, being a somewhat new parent, yeah. the, uh, the the deaths of the the two I think it was only two uh, kids uh, during the really bad winter uh, hit home a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say about it? Nothing I have. Anything for you? Other than I, I actually re really enjoyed it, and uh, would probably listen to it again. And, and I hope to read more from the author. Yeah. Well, she does. She does have a sequel. Awesome. Which Brenna, uh, Brenna has read. So. so. Okay. I'll have to. So, I'll keep an eye out for that one. See if it's on Audible. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. Okay, well, all right. Well, that was the end of our episode. So it's time to say goodbye. It's time to say thank you to for all the great folks who keep the light on, such as our sponsor, Noble Knight, everyone who supports us, like our patrons at patreon.com slash tomeshow, and those of you who shop at Amazon and DMs Guild using our affiliate links at thetomeshow.com. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, our email is thetomeshow at gmail.com. Our biz line is 919-BizTome, that's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, you can find me online uh, on Twitter at SarahDarkMagic and at SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Eric on Twitter at EricMPAQ, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. And you can find Jeff, who couldn't join us for this episode, on Twitter at Squatch or at the Tome Show. Those are our thoughts for The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Next up in February and March, we'll be reading A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. And until then, keep turning the page, tomates. I'm also lost.